Oh, uh, by the way, are you going to uh, let me know what those soundboard editions are, Nathan? Uh-oh. You want to know right now, everybody? <laughs> I want to know. I want to know what they are. Hold on. We're going to play a different one so I can test the audio on this. There's that. Let's just go through the audio bar. That was the first one. <laughs> we'll get to Morgan's last. Just us it. it was at this moment oh, that Nathan knew he fucked up. Yeah. There's that one. <laughs> the Halloween one. I took two. I had three Halloween ones on there since Halloween. I hadn't taken them off. <laughs> you know, for when I do awesome stuff. There's the song, of course. All right. These are the two. I don't remember which one's which off the top of my head. Uh, okay. White or green, Morgan? <laughs> Um, we'll go white first. Get out of here. We don't want you. <laughs> Let's play that one more time for everybody. Get out of here. We don't want you. <laughs> okay, what's the other one? Oh, big yawn. <laughs> oh, big yawn. <laughs> oh. Listen, here's the thing that I don't like is that... You are the only one that has the ability to play them. Yeah. Because <laughs> I feel yeah. like I'd have some good moments. You probably would. Um, if you yeah, don't, this one if was... you went through all that trouble and you don't use it during the stream, I'm going to be so mad. Uh, <laughs> Get out of here. We don't want you. That one was too good not to incorporate into the soundboard. And then the big yawn one, I think like uh, in the stream, I had said that I was going to cut it. And I was like, okay, I got you. So, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh. have to do it now. It's it's happening. Let's play D and D, our favorite RPG. Escape your life and play pretend for a while. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Rule of Cool podcast. My name is Morgan, and I'm Nathan. And today we are going to be talking about how to tie in backstories to your campaign. Yeah, I think it's a pretty interesting topic, something that a lot of people work really hard um, as a DM to try to do for their players. Um, There are plenty of people, I'm sure, that don't try to do this at all. But um, I think if you're you're trying to up that game from a... uh, up your game from that let's just go and do this thing and play this adventure and read it from a book and you're going into that more homebrew world Uh, maybe something that you've developed for yourself or like something that you're working on developing for yourself then usually you're trying to tie some of this backstory stuff in and if you've got players uh, if you've got a Morgan in your game who's going to send you a a good backstory with lots of uh, you know, death, drama, and despair, then uh, you you definitely want to do so. You want to be able to, in a way, as a DM, reward your players um, for their work, uh, thinking into their players enough to write such intricate backstories. It's nice to, to give them that little bit back to say, okay, like, let's, let me work this into the game. Let me make this, let's involve everything you just, you know, if you wrote... 20 pages i'm gonna you know at yeah. least try to incorporate something instead of just like thank you for that information moving on <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it's really important like you said if if somebody puts in the work to 
build their character to such a huge extent, then the least you could do is take some of that backstory and make it relevant in the game for them. Um, There's a few things that you would need to have to make... Words are hard. (laughs) There's a few things that you would need to make sure that you have enough, like, solid material for your DM to take and use. Um, And as a DM, there are certain things that you should look for to specifically pick out that will help you incorporate it. Yeah, if if you get a backstory and it's like, last Tuesday I had the tuna surprise at the tavern. Uh, I mean... I guess you could make the tuna surprise the big bad evil guy, but it's not going to be that fun. (laughs) Man, and also props to you if you can make a food dish of BBEG. (laughs) Yeah, the the tuna went bad, and it it was the tuna of the sea became self-aware, and they started poisoning their own blood so that when they got caught and eaten... (laughs) I mean, have you seen Fantasy High Season 1? Freshman year. Yeah. No spoilers, but kind of spoilers. Food is evil guy. Corn cute. Tuna surprises everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the corn cuties. Yeah. Um, Uh, But yeah, there's there's more important things to be looking for in mm -hmm. uh, a backstory. Um, one of the biggest things I think, and it's our kind of first little topic here is the, the important people, organizations, groups, maybe enemies. It's the people, um, who is in that backstory that is now your NPC. That is super massive and makes things honestly (laughs) very easy to say, Oh, you've got. When you were a child, this was your arch ne- nemesis? Cool. He's not my NPC, and uh, you will see him later. It's <laughs> like, boom, you're in the story. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, not even a challenge. Being The relationships with people and their backstories, um, those people in the backstories, whether they're in the written in the backstory, it's very easy because everyone else that's not the players in the world is you as the DM. So... Mm-hmm. Guess what? They just gave you NPCs, and if they're elaborative backstory writers, they've already given you a lot of the information you need to know about them. They've yeah. named them, they've described them, they've given you character, you know, details about them, and all you really got to do is add a little bit of that kind of DM side, maybe maybe a, apply them to some sort of stat block or make them a stat block, and cool, you've got an NPC. And other things are places of importance. So is there somewhere that is super important to this character um, that you're going to have to have, you know, is, is there, yeah. Is their hometown really important to them? Is this one place where they picked up, you know, where they learned how to be a rogue? Is that an important place to them? Yeah. Did they go, are they, are they a wizard? Did they go to like a wizard school of some sort? Is that, you know, there's the, the places, places are, are very cool because, um, especially if you're homebrewing your world, you can now go, Oh, okay. Like, let me put these places in here. And like, now they exist. And now I can, boom, let me write some stuff for this place. 
and you know, and now you've got, I know for in my game that Morgan plays in, um, <clears throat> she said she's from this like village of air Genasi people. Like didn't give me a ton of information on like, this is exactly what I had envisioned for the town. <laughs> um, but said that she's from this place. So I went, cool. <sighs> Boom. There's a whole backstory. <laughs> like this place has is exists and there's hundreds and hundreds of years of history there. And they've got, people that lead them and they've got people that protect them and they've got business. Like these things all exist now. Personally, like that to me as a player, like, like he said, I didn't give him a whole lot to go off of. I just said, Hey, I grew up with a tribe of air genasis and then I was kidnapped. And so I don't remember a whole lot about the town anyways, because I was young when I was kidnapped so then going into the town during the session, I was like, oh, this is this is what this is. And I kind of experienced the town as, you know, older Tempest and Morgan at the same time, um, figuring out, you know, what it looks like, how it runs now, things like that. Yeah. And, and you know, I think that that was something that, again, is like, just picking that little chunk of information out and being like, cool, that's free stuff for me. <laughs> you know, as the DM, you've got plenty of work to do. If if you if your players are just going to give you information like, hey, here's 10 NPCs and here's six places. Cool. You already gave me a bunch of information. All I got to do is flush them out a little bit. Sweet. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, in our show notes here, we're moving down the list, though. We've got the next thing that you want to be able to kind of uh, next piece of backstory information to be on the lookout for is uh, I wrote in here as like relation between the, their deity or patron, um, how that would have started or grown into something that's important to them or powerful. Um, I think that that's super important if... Um, they're a deity because they were raised in this church or they were a deity be- with their deity because they're like chosen, you know, like they had some crazy event where like this powerful God like struck them with lightning and like said, you are my champion now. You know, there's, you can have kind of these different things where you're like, okay, like how much is their deity going to come into play? How much are they not going to come into play? How much do does this player want this to be important? Um, and I think that, you know, I put that patrons on the same thing. Cause when you've got like, you know, warlocks and stuff, it's very similar to jump back in uh, to the, to this. One of the last things we're saying that uh, is kind of backstory information you're able to pluck out is, is there something in the backstory that's unresolved that you can turn into like a story arc? Um, has this, your character had a secret, um, relationship with this red dragon and now you've got to deal with him you know <laughs> yeah that's we all know that's in uh, backstory. She just were you in the middle of a conflict when you were suddenly whisked away on this journey did yeah. you get into a fight with somebody before you left a village did you, you know kill all these all little the things you've ever known can be run away from your hometown yeah there's, there's you run away from your hometown and then the hag finds another kid to kidnap <laughs> You know, it's fine. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of things where you go, okay, like this is something like very cool, something that's like very unresolved that I can like 
throw at the party and guess what? They're going to spend the next five sessions more and more dealing with it. And yeah, cool. Like somewhat your player's backstory just wrote a big chunk of your campaign for you. Have fun. <laughs> and then if you're me, you give your DM even more freaking ammo to fight against you by making the evil person in your backstory your freaking warlock patron. Because why not? Because the uh, DM's <laughs> evil and throws the idea out there. I, I takes I do take some blame for it, but you you didn't have to say this. You I did, but didn't, you didn't. But you were like it. <laughs> it's a good idea. You should do it. And then I was like, it would make a really great story arc. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have, I, I, to be fair, like I said, I'm not saying I didn't bait you into a little bit, but if you would have <laughs> just said like, no, I'm not interested in that. I'm not the kind of person that would have been like, no, you have to like, I would have let you say no, but it, it is yeah. very dramatic. <laughs> so, <laughs> It, I mean, like I said, it's going to make for great story. It's going to be traumatizing, but it'll be a great story. Uh, looking forward to it. But to kind of like bring this back, uh, we have a question from our Discord server from random person H2O. As a player, do you try to leave things open-ended in your backstory or make things more specific? Do you think one method is more useful for the DM than the other? Um. I think that personally, as a DM specifically, when a player gives me something that's a little bit open ended, it's much mm-hmm. better. If you if if I get this like very specific backstory, then I know I can only do so much with it without saying, "Hey, this is not actually the way it is," or not staying true to what they put all that time and effort into. Um, yeah. You know, I like there to be that detail in there where I can really, like, especially if the player has, like, put a lot of thought and work into writing the information that they're giving me, then when it comes in the game, it always, you know, digs a little bit deeper because they, like, they're like, man, I I gave him that information. But at the same time, uh, yep. like, when, <laughs> when you get, if you were to get too specific, it, it kind of gets that point of, like, well, I can only do so much with this. I, I can't say, like, you know, there was a secret thing about this or that, or, you know, without it being kind of like, without it feeling like, hey, I'm doing something over here. Um, and I think that that's part yeah. of the, you know, power of being a, DN, a DM in D&D is that, you know, um, what do you call it? Uh man suspension of disbelief um Mm. of like (laughs) this is like the thing i wrote in the backstory is not something the dm is like forcing into the game as like story is because if it feels that way it starts to break the reality of it it starts to break into that okay this is like more like i can tell you're doing this you want to be able to be a dm who's like in the background toying with everything and it just be feeling to the players like this is what would happen and it sucks. But like, mm-hmm. they're like, this isn't like, even if the players know it, they ha- like, you almost want that feeling that the players are at the table. Like, wow, this isn't even his fault. Like this is just like, this is the world. And like, it sucks. <laughs> like yeah. you don't want to be in the background. Like, you know, like, uh, uh, like wizard of Oz style, just like, like they're like, just, 
speaking with the wizard and they're like, who's back there? Like you, you don't want to be seen back there. You want them to focus on the wizard and not see the man behind the curtain. Right. And I think as a player, I kind of agree with you. Like, you want to have enough specificity in there that the DM isn't going to have to do literally all of the work for you, but you want to be able to give them that creative freedom because otherwise it's going to be way hard to incorporate it. Um, you want to be able to have a little wiggle room for whatever they have planned for the campaign uh, because it's just a pain in the ass if you don't give them that opportunity to tweak a tiny thing here and there uh, to make it work. Well, and you know, I think it's, it's very interesting of like, there, there is a point of like not putting enough information in there where it's like, okay, well like now you're just tagging along, but at the same time, um, if your DM wants to be evil enough, uh, you could give him no information, and then you could probably have the most traumatic story of all, uh, as I did with our <laughs> Mod Madness um, in our game of he gave me very little backstory information, and I said, cool, I will have fun with this, and uh, took him on a ride of his own, and uh, now he's dead. And it was horrifying and <laughs> awful, and I did not like it. <laughs> so... Um, I I, th- I do think there is a point of, like, not enough information, but at the same time, um, let let those DMs go wild. If And, like, the thing is, is that, like, I had spoken with Matt specifically about, like, his comfort level and letting me just kind of run away with a lot of his story information. You know, yeah. it's, I think that leaving, making sure that your players still have agency over their characters is crucial and just because they didn't give you enough backstory information doesn't mean that you should just run away with their story and do crazy things to them uh you know everything that i've kind of put matt's character through and like decided is a part of um his character um backstory wise is kind of been like hey you're cool with me doing certain things or like hey are you okay with me running with this and like surprising you with it you know like i've had conversations with him where it's like he's like yeah this is cool i'm I'm accepting this and i say awesome now i can do the real crazy shit but it has to be okay with the players first before you do it you know and having those check-ins with your players so that they know that again they still have agency over their character and it's not like well it's out of my hands one of the one of the biggest things is the ability as a DM to take the information they give you and put it into your world. Um, so we talked about, you know, places of importance in what you should write into your backstory. Um, when you're a DM looking at a player's backstory, is there something that contributes to the creation of certain realms or villages or characters? Um, Like we had talked about my hometown as Tempest. um, That was something that Nathan then had to create and build in his world because that was a big part of who my character was. Um, 
the same thing I feel for Sophie, um, her meadow. That was, you know, an important place to Sophie and her backstory with her mother. So he created that in the world. And burnt it down. What? And burnt it down. And then burn it down. Yeah. <laughs> Pause for uh, the, the... Can we get a moment of silence, everybody, for <laughs> Sophie's meta? <laughs> um, yeah. If you're a real evil DM, then uh, then you you build those beautiful places of your player's memory, and then you you burn them straight to the ground, and uh, you don't shed a tear for it either. You just move on. <laughs> um, yeah, that was definitely a sad but interesting thing to like have this very kind of like a backstory centric place and uh um a little bit of the evil dm stuff coming through to uh burn it straight to the ground adding to um things you can take from the backstory and add into your world building is there something that they want to be a part of their story that is historically relevant to the world um specifically things you know like wars or other major conflicts maybe you know maybe your player wants to have a character that is a previously a soldier and he fought in some big war uh, maybe it was that wasn't something you like exactly had planned as part of your world but you're you're working on fleshing your world out and you go cool maybe 50 years ago there was a big war right like um and or maybe it, it was recent, whatever the case may be, uh, being able to take those things. And as long as they work out with your story information, being able to do so is is very cool. And then it can also kind of spiral off from there. And you can talk about these, like, you know, the specific conflicts between, you know, races in this world or the colonies or cults or different groups and organizations. Um, you know, maybe it's, they were involved in something and cool. Now you know that like there's these two groups of people, whatever they may be or be a part of are now against each other. And you can ramp that up into a point of interest for your players where they come across these two things that are highly volatile towards each other. And then you can work that into the game and one of your players now has a connection to that because maybe they're a part of one of those groups. Yeah, and like we had said before, you can kind of relate that to the specific characters in that was the rogue part of a thieves' guild? And did that thieves' guild have any conflict with anybody? You know, it might not have involved the character directly, but say that specific character has like an insignia on their person from the thieves guild and they enter a town where that thieves guild has caused a lot of trouble. Well, there you go. There is a little story beat that you can add in that ties into that character's backstory, even if it is in a completely roundabout way. Yeah. They're like walking down the street with that little patch on their shoulder or something. And some <laughs> dude just picks them up by the throat and slams them into a wall and says like, 
your guys killed my whole family. And they're like, what? <laughs> I didn't kill fucking anybody, dude. Like, what? what? You're like, no. And it's like, maybe you didn't. Maybe your player has no involvement in that. But hey, guess what? When you're a part of that group, that may not, everyone may not be very happy with that group. And also, like, you know, this happens in a lot of things, but racial tension, you know? If the centaurs have an issue with the Fae or anything, any combination of any, you know, race or class, you know, there could be like a whole tribe of barbarians that despise this cohort of wizards. Yeah. Um, I mean, everybody and that hates can... the elves because they're elves. So, I mean, <laughs> dude. Oh. <laughs> and you, you can go the very like uh, standard fantasy idea of like the orcs came and raided my camp. So we don't like those dudes. Like, screw that. Stereotypes. I mean, it's it's one of those things that, like, um, I think it's sometimes more rewarding to uh, work out of stereotype. But it, it is there to use. If, if your player used that in their backstory and that's something that they found crucial to their character, um, you can use it. I mean, it's there to use. Um, so we'll mo- move on here talking about uh, backstory information in your world building. Uh, we've got a question from our Discord from uh, Work in Progress. Uh, as a DM, how do you decide what parts of a backstory are worth incorporating and what parts are just fluff? Um, I think there's a... <laughs> I don't think that there's a specific way to do this. I think that there's like... Of course, if, if your player like it's kind of like reading the context of something. If your player writes like a page and a half on this one thing and then like, you know, just little points about everything else, then clearly that's what's most important to them and you want to use it. There's like, there's the easy stuff like that, that like if they wrote in like very strenuous detail about their arch nemesis um, and you don't include their arch nemesis, like you're really kind of letting that down. Um, Yeah. But I don't know. I kind of like just picking some of the fluff and making <laughs> it more worth incorporating. Um, right. Cause it's more surprising that way. Like uh, sure. Like you're going to put the big things in there. Like the huge things, if you're, if you're a DM that likes using backstory stuff in world building and in the campaign, then you're going to use the stuff that's like obviously big, but then there's that whole other spectrum of like the medium and the small stuff where you're like, like, whatever this medium thing, like, yeah, they like they got in a fight with this dude when they were a kid, and they were part of this organization. We're not going to work that into the campaign fully, but like, there was that one time that they like stole some coin from this guy when he was just to like eat on the street when he was a kid. That's how he used to eat. He used to steal coins from people on the street guess what? Like you now have this whole nemesis cause he was like royalty and he hates thieves and you know, street urchins and like, um, <laughs> uh, you know, taking that, like literally just that little line, maybe they wrote that like, Oh, the only way I ate as a kid was to steal coins out of people's pockets, um, in the bustling city streets. All right. Well, like that's now the, like, oh, let's crank that up. Like you stole from the wrong dude. Now he's mad. 
Um, that was kind of fun. I'm I'm going to do a really quick bit of this because I don't want to get copyright struck. But you know what just came into my mind when you said that? I don't know. One jump, head of the bread line. One swing, head of the sword. I steal only what I can't afford. <laughs> That's everything. <laughs> Anybody get that? Anybody? Get out of here. <laughs> we don't want you. <laughs> I hate you. Oh, oh my God. You told me to use them. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't help it. Oh, man rude um (laughs) trying to make a disney reference and you just being mean to me um but i agree with you um it it's also something that you have to talk to the player about you know if there's something that is incredibly important to them then you're going to you know have to talk that out and make sure that you incorporate it in some way but You also have to think of the fact that things that you might think are just fluff are important things to that character. And so you shouldn't ever write off anything in a backstory, even if it is, you know, last Tuesday at the tavern, I had the tuna surprise. Like, that, it might seem like just fluff and just boring stuff, but... You know, maybe they had Tuna Surprise because their parents were in town and that's their dad's favorite meal or something like that, you know? Or Um, you can can even go as small as, like, when they go to their hometown and they're in the tavern, guess what's getting served? Tuna Surprise. That's what the tavern's specially known for. (laughs) You know, like, just, like, being able to remember those little fluffy bits of backstory stuff. Or, like, if your player took the time to write about eating tuna surprise in the tavern, then why not bring it back up? I mean, even if it's not for anything majorly relevant, um, maybe that's the, the town's favorite, you know, dish. That's, like, the local uh, special cuisine of the area or something, right? Like, this is something that you can, like, take and have some fun with and put that fluff in and have fun with it. Yeah. Uh, Tammy Wimey Fox asks, as a DM, how do you work with a player on backstory elements that don't fit into your homebrew world? Do you accommodate them or do you try to find a compromise that makes both sides happy? Yeah. uh, I think that this is going to vary a lot for a lot of different people. It depends mm-hmm. on how strongly fleshed out your world building information is. If when I just started my campaign recently, um, it was only the second game I'd ever run in my homebrew world. And I had a lot of space. There was like, I was very comfortable saying like, cool, tell me what you want. And like, unless it directly and seriously like, conflicts with what I've got going on, like I will make a place for it. Um, But if you've like had a homebrew world that you've been playing since 1980 and you've developed for literally 40 years, it's going to be a little harder to say like, Hey, like, yeah, whatever your deal is, we'll just make it work. Like, um, 
Like, you've clearly got a lot of work into that. You probably know, like, every nook and cranny of your world. And it's not going to be quite so easy to say, okay, like, yeah, we'll just put that in here. Because it's going to probably have some confliction with it. But um, I think that being able to find that compromise is what's important. Um, if, if your player sends you a backstory and you don't talk to them about the backstory until it comes up in game, uh, I think you're doing it wrong. Like, uh, that's yeah. just how I feel. Like you, you need to be able to, when they send you a backstory, send them notes on it and say like, okay, this is how this is, would work into this. Um, you know, wh- how do you feel about like, why don't you add this information? Here's some extra stuff about, you know, my world that's going to elevate parts of your backstory and like, this little thing, like, would you mind if we take that out? Because, like, that's something that just doesn't work. Yeah. I think most of the time players are pretty understanding to the fact that that's kind of part of making a backstory. Um, and usually, I, I, I won't say always, because definitely some people are, are not always understanding. Um, but usually most people are, like, expecting that when they write their backstory of, like, Here's all this information. Let me know how that works. Oh, that doesn't work? Cool. No problem. We'll take that out, but like work your new thing in. Yeah. And I also think it's really important as a DM to make sure that your players understand what your world is uh, because that's going to make it easier for them to be able to, you know, create their backstory that fits into the world that you've already imagined you know because if you say hey create a level five character whatever you want then they're just gonna build whatever they want but if you say hey um this is my world it's a realm divided up into five towns slash cities one is like the central hub one is a farming village one is an art village like and so on and so forth then they can say, oh, I'm definitely from the farming village and this village has a particular like impact on my life and this is where I go to school and or went to school. <laughs> I'm using an example of Aramore, um, which is a world that I built and am currently working on my players getting me their backstories players give me your backstories <laughs> aka the mods um except for Alyssa because Alyssa has um but <laughs> I have not done it either no you have not you haven't even given me a character the other two have at least given me their characters um I'm keeping things as but <laughs> but I'm gonna send um, you a backstory but not the character but that's what I did is I basically I made a channel on discord and I was like hey um, these are the cities this is what the world looks like Um, (laughs) figure it out and let me know and we can make compromises on whatever it is that you need to do and also (laughs) solace don't don't give me those eyes um I need the backstories to write it into my campaign. Uh, Tighter pants does not need to be in 
Aramore. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that's my that's my character. No, you're making tighter pants as no, a teenager. No. Tighter pants as a teenager would be awful. Yeah, exactly. Can you um, imagine if he was still going through like all of his hormones just of happening to him? Are you kidding me? God, I don't need a horny bard in this campaign. I'm sorry, Nathan. He, um, that would be like the extra horny bard. <laughs> the, the extra teenager. horny teenage hormones. No way. Puberty bard. Oh, no, no, no. This would be no. before he got hot. No. And this would be when he was like still very like, uh, um, what's even the right word for that? Um, pre-finding himself where he's like still like, he's probably Nathan? just a womanizer and like. <laughs> I'm going to need you to hit that white button, please. Get out of here. That was low we low. Yeah, because, like, eventually he, like, definitely finds himself and, like, realizes that, like, uh, for him, he's, like, very love is love. He just loves everyone and doesn't care. Like, uh, but he probably definitely was, like, very, like, that in high school kind of, like, trying to be the tough guy, like, uh, (laughs) womanizer-y, like, piece of crap. Yeah, we're not going to have tighter pants. (laughs) Nah. Nah. You, listen, you can be a bard because I don't think anybody else is going bard. I'm not going bard. Please don't make a horny boy. I don't have time for that. Well, if, if um, it's going to be a teenage boy, he's, he's going to be horny. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's All right. Uh, let's un- jump back into our topic. Even though, you know, that kind of was on topic. Um, <laughs> moving on. You, as a DM, when you're trying to tie back stories in, you have to find some way to relate the main story and the backstory and you can do that through side quests yeah i forgot how to word for a second so there was an awkward pause there but it's fine (laughs) um the number one point in this is you can't make every player's story a main plot point or make their NPC the BBEG. You can't do that for every character. Yeah. Especially when you've got a big group. <laughs> like, Oh. Yeah. If you've got like six players, you, they can't all have a B, Like they can have a personal BBEG, but you can't make a party-wide BBEG for every single one of them. Yeah. Um, but you can tie their backstories. I... Wow, words. Hang on. But you can tie the players' backstories to each other. Uh, leaving the player agency, um, where you're not going to tie someone too close together without their comfort level of it, I think is important. Uh, but you can't have little threads that like butt up against each other and like overlap a little bit, just 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 right over the line. And then the players in game are like. Oh shit! Do we have like something in common? Like, <laughs> it's like uh, I feel like you get that uh, Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man meme moment. Or they're like, "You're me," <laughs> of like, "You're me." Yeah, but like they're just like, "Wait, what's happening?" Like, um, I think that that's very fun. And then and then you can kind of let the players devolve themselves and spiral and uh, have have that fun. 
let the players do all the chaos for you. Yeah, I mean, you there's there is a a, a point to be made. Now, the biggest thing is choosing which backstories you can weave into main story material. Um, that's going to help you decide, you know, what can you take as a side quest rather than a main story beat. Yeah, kind of um, narrowing it down. Yeah, so what has the most potential for something big? Um, and are there anything... Are there any beats that easily tie into the plans that you already have set for your campaign? Yeah. Well, and I think that that's like super huge. If you like, if you, it doesn't always happen, but I, I would say that it, it does happen somewhat. Um, or at least like they can kind of interweave close to each other of like, someone's going to say something that like can totally work with your, your story where you're like, cool. Like your backstory is like, uh, gonna be the like, if we follow your backstory, it's gonna weave us right on in close to at mm-hmm. least view some of the major plot points, um, even before they happen. <clears throat> and I think that that's something that's very cool to be able to use that player stuff that maybe isn't exactly in line with what you've had planned, um, but it you tie it in where it weaves up close. And again, it, like I, the, in my head right now, I don't know why I'm envisioning like, uh, like their backs. When you go down the like lane of their backstory, it's like going to the zoo, but all the exhibits are like little plot points into, um, <laughs> your like major plot points, um, yeah. where they're like, they're there, they're right next to the big bad evil guy. Um, but you can't, quite just touch him like he's still over there <laughs> um and it's uh it's very very fun to take that information and twist it to your own needs like we were talking about earlier with Alyssa's campaign that i'm in um she had this figure come in and my character made a mistake uh, the character was supposed to be an ally and titania pissed him off and then he flew away, very angry with us. Now, she gets to write a whole freaking arc for a red dragon that's pissed at my party. So that's going to be fun. But she has that She has that now. And my character didn't just piss off a red dragon because she wanted to piss off a red dragon. It's part of my character that she has a trouble that she has a trouble that she has trouble holding her tongue um she says how she feels most of the time and so yes nathan (laughs) (laughs) and so sometimes she says things that can get them into trouble because if she's upset she's going to say it yeah um the only time that she, you know, will will hold her tongue and not say anything is if it's something deeply personal to her. But otherwise, if it's some guy coming in acting like a weirdo being sus, she's just going to be like, the fuck are you doing here, vicious mockery? And then she gets in trouble. Um, but there was a reason behind it, you know? that was That's part of the character. That's part of her backstory, how she was raised to just say how she feels because she's an actor bard 
Um, I, think, I think Morant just playing too much among us and thinks everyone is sus. <laughs> well, you know, when your friends are sus, they're sus. That's all always, I'm saying. Always be sus of your friends. When, when Mod Mischief talks way too much, <laughs> it's sus, and she's the imposter. Mo- moving on down, we've got uh, a. We're, when you're talking about incorporating backstory, um, there's there's the idea of taking the backstory and making it into story beats, but there's also the idea of like applying your main story beats to your players' backstories. Um, when you're doing that, you're going to be looking for a couple different things of, um, you know, when you've already worked out the story and the big, bad, evil guy, um, can any of that be like given to the player or the players to work into the story? Is there like an evil King that's ruling the land that like, that's important in your story. So you tell all the players that there's an evil King. Like, and then they can talk about how, like, yeah, I met the evil king's son and, you know, he's my boyfriend now. Like, you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, just throwing an idea out there of, like, cool. Like, now you yeah. can put that in there. And then you're like, oh, guess what? The evil king's son, he doesn't actually like you. He's just playing you, you know, because he's the evil king's son. You know, there's all that that kind of, like, back and forth weaving of like, here's information, they do something, then you do something back. Um, that kind of like a ping pong game of backstory information uh, into plot points can be can be very, very fun. And it's like um, being able, again, to provide some of this information to them so that they can work it into their backstory. And then and then it's it's just there for you. <laughs> And this is especially important when you're doing an entirely homebrewed world. Because, listen, you can do backstory things in modules. It's possible. Um, Especially if, you know, all of your character, all of your players go in with the theme of the world in mind. You could do it with a module. But taking your main story beats and applying them to the backstories of characters is especially important in homebrew world creation because then they're going to get a better sense of immersion in the world. Um, And if you say, hey, in my story, this thing happened and I think your character would be involved with it, then that can lead to you giving them like a tiny little snippet of something and then they can take it and say, okay, so then this, this, and this happened. Well, now you've got three more ideas that your player came up with to throw into your world uh, because you gave them a jumping point of a main beat and they just gave you three side quests from it, you know? Yeah. I mean, just giving that little sprinkle of extra to your players can can give them all they need to run with it and give you the whole campaign. I mean, that's really like yeah. Um, you know, especially as Morgan's already said, like if it's homebrew stuff, not a module or something, you've like you've got so much room to just say, "Cool, that's the rest of the game." <laughs> you know, like. 
you can have you can have had thoughts for how the rest of the story was going to go. You can have had thoughts for all kinds of things. But when it comes down to it, when you let your players run with things, they could have just wrote the rest of your campaign for you. Just give them those few things, a little nugget or two from here or there, and then they just come running in full steam ahead. And, like, realistically, most of the time, if if you're going to DM, your players are stoked to be able to finally play. Um, They're going to... They're going to give you plenty, like if, especially if you're going into it like, hey, this is like a, a big campaign. Like we're going to like really do this big. And then they're just going to let you have, you know, all this information that you can just continue to wrench at and ratchet up and tone down from time to time and come back in with. And guess what? You just played two years of games and like, yeah. You barely had to write your own information that wasn't based off of what they just gave you. Uh, we have some questions from Discord here. So, Timey Wimey Fox says, should backstory things be used to further the plot or to add side quests into the world? And I feel like we've kind of answered this question already. Yeah. You can do both, you know? If if something seems important enough and relates to your world enough or whatever world it is, then they can absolutely further the plot. But if it's something that is basically going to be there for character development, um, then maybe it's a side quest. And I think it's really important to think about when you're taking backstory information out of a player's backstory that you're going to work into um, like a plot furthering moment. Um, look for the things that just inspire you. If you if you're DMing, the thing you really should concern yourself with is like if a player writes this whole big thing, but like you read it and it's like, I mean, uh, this is no offense to any players writing in their backstories, but like if it doesn't inspire you to want to tell a story about that, don't do it. You know, that's your players aren't going to have fun at your table if you as the DM aren't inspired to tell that story with them. If you're really inspired to tell a story about this minor portion of their backstory, do so. Because if you're into it, if you're like writing information for this little thing and you're like, really like, this is what you found interest in, your players are going to have a lot more fun to play your game when it's something that you are inspired to run. Um, Not a, Oh, I feel a duty to run this because they wrote it. Um, and we've got another question here from our Discord from uh, Solace. It says, uh, uh, when your players don't take backstory incorporation bait, how do you m- keep motivation to keep trying? Um, and that's not something that's super easy. If you've revved up, this whole thing, like pushing them along and they're following and then you wave that bait in front of their face and they go, okay. And they move on from it. Uh, it's kind oh. of, it, it definitely can be defeating and oh. like, like it sucks. <laughs> like so if you've been working and working towards that and like, but like you all again, like this is the, you know, suspension of disbelief thing of you don't want to f- your players to ever see the little man behind the curtain. 
Like yeah. you want them to still feel like whatever's happening. So you just wave that little bit of bait. Oh, but they didn't even smell it. They didn't even notice it was there. And then they're moving on and you're like, crap, I failed. Um, it's not always easy, but think of cool. I'm going to do it again. Just, oh, yeah. oh it, it missed again. I'm going to do it again. And then that third time when they, when they hit on it and they, grab that thing and they run with it and then they're sitting at the table and they go holy do you remember when this happened (laughs) you will feel so much immense reward for your dm skill and work that it's all worth it the whole thing right there that moment that one play one player doesn't have to be everybody one player at the table grabs their notebook and screams (laughs) you've done it you you're you are a su- supreme DM. Uh, all show bow down from here on out. Um. <laughs> Listen, I 100% feel like that was kind of you when you were like, we were getting all these hints to go to Bashnar in our campaign. Yeah. And everybody was like, no, let's, let's follow these footprints. And... We followed the footprints, and then, you know, one of our players got power word killed. And they were like, okay, let's go to Bashnar. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that was a similar situation, but in my defense, Tempest wanted to go to Bashnar. (laughs) I feel like it was funny as, like, that was, so in our game, it it was such a funny situation because I feel like everybody did actually want to go to Bashnar, but everyone felt like a duty to not go to Bashnar yet. Because they were like, we yeah. want to go to Bashnar. But if we go to Bashnar, we're like just saying fuck all these people. Like, so like for, for anybody, like some people that are in my game or um, like the mods that kind of follow my game a little bit already know this. But anybody that's like heard the little snippets of our game, my game in our podcast. Um, we have been... They, basically, there was a group of people in this town that were taken over somehow, uh, unbeknownst to the party, and led away from the town in the middle of the night, disappeared. And the party, like, followed their tracks. Like, it's, like, hundreds of people. Like, they left footprints. They They walked out of the town. So, like, I feel like there was a little bit of the party being, like, can't not we have to follow them right like how do we not how do we just let them go without at least trying to find out what happened um so it kind of like it was that like okay i guess like i know that everyone wants to go do this other thing but we have to go do this one thing um and then they lost a party member and like realized that it was all the trap and we're like oh we're leaving (laughs) we're going where we want to go Let's go to that place where we were told to go three or four different times. Uh. Yeah, but it, it's that very much is the like uh, a little bit of that like um, sprinkling of information across, and like uh, I think that the time that that happened, honestly, the that was most rewarding for me as the DM so far is when um, you guys are like researching and like looking up information and things like that, and I sprinkled a little bit of backstory information about. Um, the Council of Swords, which is like the rulership of this, there are my homebrew world. And uh, I gave the information to one of the players and nothing clicked. And then 
uh, like next session, or I think it was even like one session later, the uh, the rest of the party was asking that one player that I had privately sent all this information to, um, about like, hey, who's this and who's that and who's this, and then <laughs> she's she's like, oh yeah, like uh, this is the name of that person, and the player's like, wait, isn't that? And that was uh, that's the person. Yeah, so <laughs> that's kinda, the important person. It was like yeah, so the. That that was more of one of those moments where I was like, "Yes, the plan is coming together. <laughs> it's all coming together." Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, sprinkling in those little bits. Yeah, um, that's what you need. And if yeah. all else fails, kill a character. Yeah, that, that uh, keeps they'll it get fun. the hint. <laughs> hey, Morgan. What? I think it's time to simp for Tasha. <laughs> Oh my god. Guys. We're back. <laughs> I don't know about you, but Nathan and I a hundred percent simp for Tasha. This is just facts. It, it, these are facts. Um so we're gonna have another Tasha segment because why not? Um we're gonna go over a couple things, but first I want to read something for you and I'm gonna fix my microphone. Before, and I'm also gonna before you do, do that as you're fixing yourself. Yeah? Uh, for anybody that doesn't know, if you're a little confused, uh, two weeks ago, week and a half ago, something like that, um, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything was released by Wizards of the Coast. It's a, uh, compendium book for 5th edition D&D. Um, super cool. There's tons of new information, um, in the game, uh, or to add to your game. There's player stuff of... Um, new subclasses and spells and things like that. And then there's tons of awesome D&D DM advice um, of puzzles and patrons like we talked about last week, group patrons, um, and a couple more things we're going to talk about today. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to, if anybody was like, uh, why are they talking about simping someone named Tasha? There's a, it's a <laughs> Tasha is a uh, in-universe D&D uh, witch, witch queen, um, powerful wizardess, uh, <laughs> however you want to call it. Um, yes. That uh, it, the cool thing that D and D, or I guess sorry, not D and D specifically, but uh, Wizards of the Coast is doing with the fifth edition books is um, having their books be kind of written from the point of view of these different um, in universe characters. And uh, this one's kind of from the point of view of Tasha. <laughs> uh, let's go. Okay. My dear, sweet, lucky reader. You know me. You've heard of my exploits. You've spread my titles. Natasha the Dark, Hero of Cat, Baba Yaga's Daughter, Witch Par Excellence, and if you're not trying to impress, just plain Tasha. For longer than I care to confess, I've sought out mysteries and wonders that beggar description. Well, wonders that beggar the descriptions of those not raised in an immortal's dancing hut as I was. Within this tome, you'll find a sampling of the curiosities I've documented during my travels, including my exploits with the infamous Company of Seven, my studies with the original Mad Archmage, Ziggy Yigurd, and my correspondences with the world-hopping and sanctimonious luminaries like Mordecai and 
Unfortunately, at Mordekainen's request, a panel of experts from the Greyhawk Guild of Wizardry, which I'm assured is an esteemed center of learning and not an all-elaborate scam to swindle highborn rubes, has been granted editorial oversight of this work. As a result, I understand that some of my less traditional findings have been saddled with various rules for the supposed safe continuance of the mystical arts and, indeed, all life in the multiverse. No matter. Through a combination of irrefutable arguments and spells, I've convinced the editorial board to furnish me with this advanced copy of their work. In reviewing it, I've added a variety of helpful marginalia. I expect that, with the inclusion of my insights, guidance, threats, and critiques, clever minds will have all they need to advance their accounting of the multiverse's infinite audacities. And even if not, read on, and maybe you'll learn something my archmage semi-peers are terrified of you learning. I'm drawing back the curtain of my reality for you, reader dearest. Summon your courage, and take a peek. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the voice didn't turn out exactly how I wanted it. It, it had um, uh, moments of uh, portal for me, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, see, here's the thing. I had like this really, really cool voice mod set up, and then I tried it for Nathan, and apparently like it doesn't sound flat, the same yeah, on his end as I, it does on mine. It, it's... I've, very specifically sounded like Morgan was on the phone with me while in an echoey, like, public restroom. <laughs> so I changed it at the last minute, and it doesn't sound exactly how I imagined Tasha would sound, but it's close enough. It was, cool. it was still cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, there's all kinds of very cool um, little bits in this book that are, um, again, like kind of little letters and notes and commentary um, from Tasha that are interesting to enjoy as, as the book itself instead of just, hey, here's a bunch of information. Do with it as you may. Like, here's a player's handbook too. It, it doesn't do those kind of things where it's like, here is info, period, end of information. It's like, let's add that bit of flair and flavor and fun um which again is made a lot of these books released in fifth edition and in my opinion at least way more interesting there are two things that we kind of want to talk to you guys about today um the first one being the custom lineage and the second one being the feats um these two things that are in tasha's are something that can really help with the backstory of your character. Um, so for the custom lineage, um, instead of choosing one of the game's races for your character at first level, you can use certain traits to represent your character's lineage, giving you full control over how your character's origin shaped them. Uh, now, there's been a lot of people that have been upset with this, um, because they say, basically, it makes humans irrelevant. <laughs> like, the human race just becomes completely irrelevant. Um, but you can still play human. This is just another way, you know, if there's something specific about you, about how you grew up, about your parents or whatever, um, this can help you 
customize that to what you are, what you would be able to do. Um, so you are a humanoid, uh, but you can determine what you look like and whether you resemble any of your family. Um, or not. You are small. What? Or not. Or not. Um, you are small or medium. Your base walking speed is 30 feet. Uh, one ability score of your choice increases by two. And you also gain one feet of your choice for which you qualify. Um, you get either dark vision with a range of 60 feet or proficiency in one skill of your choice. And you can speak, read, and write common and one other language that you and your DM agree is appropriate for your character. That's a big note. It says that you and your DM agree is appropriate for your character. Um, don't ignore that tidbit, you know? Yeah, you can't just be like, I speak this because I want to. Like, <laughs> Maybe the DM will say, hey, you should probably learn Gnomish. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. There's probably going to be something that you're going to need Gnomish for. Um, or I give you Gnomish because you will never encounter it. <laughs> <laughs> see nice dm evil dm uh, but no i think that like also like if you're gonna approach your dm and say hey i want to have this custom language and you are like i'm trying to pick a language that i want to speak besides common um and you're like hey i think it, maybe this one this seems like it's something that like ties into my backstory information your dm can be like "Ooh, yes do speak that one like and like now they can use that later on like even if it wasn't initially planned it's not like they had a whole arc where they were going to need you speaking gnomish um but like now they can do that it's they know that that's on the table or because you're half gnome <laughs> well yeah because uh in the campaign that i'm going to be running um Alyssa's character is half elf half halfling um, and so she used the um, just like custom lineage <laughs> to make her character because, you know, half elf, half halfling, an elfling, if you will. Um, and that's what she did. When you mix a tall, lanky elf and these little halflings, doesn't that just equal out to human, though? I'm pretty sure. Alyssa, you yeah. can deny it all you want. Uh, I think that you just made a human. You just made a hu you just made a human with more work. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. <laughs> it's a medium um, It's a medium halfling. It's a medium <laughs> With elf ears. Amazing. Um yeah, I think the custom lineage is really cool. Human um, with extra steps, I agree. <laughs> it it is human with extra steps. But, you know, if if that's something that you want to be able to do, then freaking go for it. I think it's cool. Um, I think that it'll add some really interesting aspects to my players' characters. Um, and I'm excited for it. Can I play a, a sentient animal? No. Dang. That'd be cool, though. No. Nathan? Can I play an green button creature? Green button. I think the green one's the wrong one, but I'll hit it because you said. Oh, big yawn. <laughs> no, the green button was definitely no, the right one last time. Right one. Get out of here. <laughs> we don't want you. <laughs>
Green is yawn. White is get out of here. <laughs> Last time I said green, you did the get out of here. Either way. Can I play an awakened object? Can I play like a sentient no. weapon? No. Can I be Matt's no. sentient weapon? No. <laughs> no. Matt, Listen, jump in here. How do you feel about we this? We may be can rule of cool, weapon? but you cannot play a sentient object. That's I am not letting it happen. <laughs> Um, I'll be like anyways. A, I'll be like a evil mage that's been trapped inside his weapon for like ten thousand no. years. You are the the, <sighs> the characters are teenagers. <laughs> yeah, Matt will be the teenager, but oh, 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 I'll be locked in. I'll have been locked in stasis since I was a teenager, but I'm still in the weapon. <laughs> so you're going to play Matt's weapon? Yeah. The teenage You're playing weapon. Matt's teenage sentient sent- weapon. Matt's teenage sentient weapon. No. Um, anyways, <laughs> um, the other thing we're talking about is extra feats. Yeah. Um, so we're specifically going to touch the ones that we feel can really relate to backstory stuff. Um, especially since if you do the custom lineage, you can immediately choose a feat. Um, so... The first one we have is Artificer, Artificer, Artificer Initiate. Yeah. Um, Do you want me to read that for you? Yeah. All right. Everybody knows my reading skills, so let's see how this goes. I believe in you. <clears throat> You've learned some of the artificers. Artificer. <laughs> you just did the same thing I did. You've learned some of the artificers incentiveness. Inventiveness. Man, two mess ups in a row. Um, in this in this uh, feat, you learn one cantrip from the artificer spell list, um, and you learn one first level spell of your choice from that list. And um, intelligence becomes your spellcasting ability for these spells. Um, you can cast this first level spell with without a spell slot, and you must finish a long rest before you can do so. Um, and you gain proficiency with a type of artisan tool of your choice. And uh, you can use that type of tool as your spellcasting focus for any spell that you cast that uses intelligence as its spellcasting ability, a.k.a. probably the spell you picked up. Uh, Matt said double nat ones on words, and so I rolled a dice just to see, and I got a four. Shout out to the two crew. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that yeah. like this is something that's very cool because if you're going to, especially when we're talking about combining it with the lineage situation, um, you can take that uh, artificer initiate and be like, cool, like this isn't what my, pl- my player's not an artificer, but... He's into it. Maybe he, his dad was. Maybe his, he learned it somewhere. You know, there's all kinds of things you can do to take that and just twist it a little bit and start to do your own thing. I think it's cool. And like you said, like maybe your dad was an artificer. And that's not necessarily something that you want to do with your life, but you learned those skills by growing up with him. And you have that now. Always crush the dreams of your parents. Yeah, always. Turns them into bad guys. Um, the next feat we have is chef. Um, chief. 
shit. So, <laughs> I'll, get, I'll, get my, I'll get my uh, identify spell voice on. You want me to put that in the soundboard? No. Jeez. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're really never going to be able to use that one. Uh, <laughs> Time spent mastering the culinary arts has paid off, granting you the following benefits. Increase your constitutional wisdom score by one to a maximum of 20. You gain proficiency with cook's utensils if you don't already have it. As part of a short rest, you can cook special food, provided you have ingredients and cook's utensils on hand. You can prepare enough of this food for a number of creatures equal to four plus your proficiency bonus. At the end of the short rest, any creature who eats the food and spends one or more hit die to regain hit point points regains an extra 1d8 hit points. With one hour of work, or when you finish a long rest, you can cook a number of treats equal to your proficiency bonus. These special treats last eight hours after being made. A creature can use a bonus action to eat one of those treats to temporarily... Yep. A creature can use a bonus action to eat one of those treats to gain temporary hit points equal to your proficiency bonus. Hell yeah. This is super cool. Um, I like the fact that like cooking and food isn't something that's super relevant usually in um, a D&D game. But if that's something that your player wants to have be important to them, if they want to be the cook type or the chef. Having a chef is not something that a lot of people usually think about in D&D sessions. You know, I feel like there's a lot of people that ignore the fact that players have to eat. Um and they just kind of assume that, you know, you're going to find whatever you need along the way. You're going to stop in a tavern, whatever. Um, but there are some campaigns where you really pay attention to whether or not you eat or not. Whether or not you eat. Um, so the book says, my players don't use this feat, but one of the hirelings that follow them, hello, Gold Sink, has the feat. Bonus, uh, Heward's Handy Spice Pouch, Common Magic Item, and Xanathar's. Yes. Um, that's super cool. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of people don't think about being a chef, but I think it'd be incredibly handy, especially with the chef feet, um, being that you can cook and anybody who eats that food can regain hit points. You know, it's a way to be a healer without being a healer. Yeah. I think that like, I don't know. There's a lot of feats. So I don't know if I would take this specifically if I had something else I was like I had in mind that was a lot better. But like this is almost like a cool extra feat just to take so that yeah. you can like have a little bit of extra healing because why not? <laughs> well, and it also, you know, it depends on where you're going with your character. So you might not think to take this, but in Modelissa's campaign, um, one of our one of the one of our players, her character, um, sh that's what she does. She cooks. Like we go when we fight monsters, and she cooks it and figures out if it's good or not. And the chef feat would be a great feat for her because every time we take a short rest or a long rest, she is an Aladrin elf, I believe. Um, and so. She just, you know, does her few hours of meditation and then cooks the rest of the rest uh, for the party. Um, and that would be an incredible feat to take. It, it, it like, it's kind of one of those things. It's like, why not have this extra little bit? Like, um, especially like, 
you know, when you're talking about adding that little bit of a bonus to your hit die after regaining hit points from your hit die, if you're, like, really grinding through, like, some really elongated stuff before you can take an actual long rest, um, every little bit of healing counts when you've only got so many hit die. Yeah. And especially if you don't have a dedicated party healer, like the chef feet could be a lifesaver. <laughs> yeah. Or if your DM kills your dedicated party healer. That too. But then, you know, instead of taking the chef feet, you just become a warlock of an undying patron. <laughs> it's fine. Everything's fine. I am not going to cry. And we'll see what happens tonight when we play our campaign after the stream is over. Um, the next, <laughs> the next feat we have is Faye touched. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, when we were writing these notes, um, cause we always make an outline for our stream. I, we were making these notes and I did Faye touched and, Nathan wrote gross and then right underneath it I put shadow touched and Nathan goes gross but in the dark (laughs) (laughs) you're the worst the worst I'm calling you out Nathan yeah it was very funny Um, it was it was also like late and I was like working on this and like also trying to get ready for our game tonight and also watching uh the unsleeping city 2 dimension 20s new season and like so good uh yeah I need to catch up feeling Feeling, feelings. Why does that yeah, sound so bad to me? Right? You know, feeling silly. It was, it was four a.m. for me at that point. So it was like what one a.m. for yeah, you? It was a little one, but that's and, like uh, normal awake time for me. But I just I don't sleep anymore. Um. <laughs> anyways, Fey touched. Um, your exposure to the Fey Wild's magic has changed you, granting you the following benefits: increase your intelligence, wisdom, or charisma score by one to a maximum of twenty. You learn the Misty Step spell and one first level spell of your choice. The first level spell must be from the Divination or Enchantment School of Magic. You can cast each of these spells without expending a spell slot. Once you cast either of these spells in this way, you can't cast that spell again in this way until you finish a long rest. You can also cast these spells using spell slots you have of the appropriate level. The spell's spellcasting ability is the ability increased by this feat. Um, this one, you know, it, it isn't a lot... Um, but this is something that you can take from backstory. You know, were, were you exposed to the Feywild? Um, were you kidnapped? Were you a bargain? You know, there's, Fey are tricky. Were you the firstborn child that they named, you know? Does, does someone, does anyone remember, was this episode two, I think it was, when we created our, uh, um, was it the uh, satyr swa- pirate? The satyr uh, swashbuckler. Yeah, yeah, that, she she definitely could have had Faye touched. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, I mean, this is just that, like, again, we're you know, we're, there's a bunch of these, but we're kind of touching on the ones that we thought would be interesting to talk about with our topic today. Um, and that's definitely one of them. Of like, is is like, hey, this is because of something that I can write a little bit in my backstory. Um, whether they like have been to the Feywild, have met a Fey, have they maybe there was just like something that was like bestowed upon them at birth and they don't know why. And cool, now the DM can run with it and create 
Why? Yeah, and the same exact thing is for the next one, which is Shadow Touched. Um, your exposure to the Shadow Fell's magic has changed you, granting you the following benefits. Increase your intelligence, wisdom, or charisma score by one to a maximum of 20. You learn the invisibility spell and one first level spell of your choice. The first level spell must be from the Illusion or Necromancy school of magic. You can cast each of these spells without expending a spell slot. Once you cast either of these spells in this way, you can't cast the spell in this way again until you finish a long rest. You can also cast these spells using spell slots you have of the appropriate level. The spell's spellcasting ability is the ability increased by this feat. Yeah, that's the same exact thing as Fey Touched, um, except Shadowfell magic, and it's necromancy instead. Um, but again, something that could come up in the backstory and be used. Yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll skid through this last one pretty quick here, I'll, and I'll do it for Morgan so she doesn't have to. Um, except I lost it. Where did it go? Where did, there it is. Um, fighting initiate. Uh, prerequisite is only that you have proficiency with a martial weapon and, uh, your martial training has helped you develop a particular style of fighting. As a result, you learn one fighting style option of your choice from the fighter class. If you have already have a style, then one, the one you choose must be different. Whenever you reach a level that grants you an ability score improvement feature, you can replace this feat's fighting style with another one from your fighter class that that you don't have. Um, again, this is like um, very similar to like the artificer initiate. Maybe you're not a fighter, but you were trained as a fighter when you were younger. Maybe you were in the military and you learned fighting styles and. Um, different things like that that are going to be able to help you, but that's not your character thing. It's just something from your backstory. I, that, I mean, that pretty much wraps it up. I, you know, we, we, I think we talk enough about reading all these feats. Um, if you have not already, uh, go read Tasha's Cauldron of Everything because it's very, very cool um, and has a lot of really fun and interesting stuff. There's going to be, if you're big on, uh, on Arthur Arcana stuff, which is, you know, Watsy's official playtesting, there's definitely going to be things that you might even recognize that maybe you even might have tried out that are now officially published and in the game. Yeah, and also, if you haven't, you should consider joining our Discord server uh, where we take all of your questions and topic ideas and put polls out to see what we're going to talk about for the next stream. Today's topic was voted on and was... Definitely a favorite from everybody. Um, and we got quite a few questions that we were able to answer on stream. I feel good about the topic today and what all we talked about. Um, but you should head over there and join us. Um, also, check out our Facebook page. Check out our Instagram. We have all kinds of social media pages. Um, and the very last thing, we're at 45 followers on Twitch. We just need five more to hit our goal, people. Um, five more followers on Twitch. Uh, tell your friends. If you're not following us yet, come hang out. Follow us. We're going to be having a lot more content for you come 2021 um, that we Big are plans. incredibly excited for. Um, yeah. Yeah. We we want you to be here with us. Yeah. Um, and uh, hey, if you if you like our show, tell somebody about it this week. Tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your best friend. If you think they would enjoy the show, 
uh, tell somebody about it because uh, you guys spreading the word is uh, super crucial to helping us continue to grow. Yeah, but I think that's all we have. So until next time, this has been the Rule of Cool podcast. Thanks for hanging out. Bye. Bye. favorite RPG. Escape real life and play pretend with no real consequences. Let's play D&D. Let's play D&D, our favorite RPG. Escape real life and play pretend for.